The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. All right. Good morning, church family. Uh, As Pastor Ellis said, we're in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you said about him? It was your eyes he opened? The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, age. he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. God bless the reading of our word. Amen. Let me pray. Um, Would you join me? Father in heaven, there are so many petitions in my spirit right now. 
But Father, I need your Holy Spirit um, to guide my words as I try to encourage um, your children, my brothers and sisters, the church. We are facing um, a difficult time. And so, Lord, I ask that this scripture on this day, um, mixed with these prayers, that you would bring your kingdom, that you would continue to complete your work of maturity in us. And, Lord, I pray that we, too, could see Jesus afresh and new. And so, Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to spend this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage is definitely an unusual passage for a Palm Sunday. And and can I say a hallelujah? I know some of you buried your hallelujahs over the course of the Lent season. And today, even in the midst of the darkness that we feel, we can still shout hallelujah. And so I would even encourage you right now in your living room, especially if you have your kids around you, just lead them in, um, in like a three three shouts of hallelujah, like hallelujah, 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 because there is reason for us to rejoice. There are truths that are still true today, even in the midst of the pain and the struggle in this, that's, that's, that's impacting us in so many ways through the pandemic that we all are facing. So whether you're in the United States or you're one of our brothers and sisters around the world right now, we are facing a common time. And I want us to be in to continue to see just the power of Christ. And so here in John chapter 9, I believe that we can even begin to see a picture of the Saturday before Holy Week. Um, There's glimpses of this that mirror the John 19 and John 20 that are typically used on an Easter week. And so hopefully today we'll find that... that, um, that there is something special about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Jesus looking at people and weeping, Jesus looking and some people celebrating him and others still wanting to reject him, the, the powers and the authorities that were at war in Jesus' time. And we can begin to see how some of the same powers are still at war with us today, but yet we still have this hope in Jesus Christ. And the things that Jesus did leading up to the cross, and he accomplished coming out of the grave. And in that first Easter morning, I still think we're going to be able to taste and see that in a powerful way as we go through John chapter 9. So let me just remind, remind us of a few things. As we're going through this book, it's important that we continue to look for the clues of the things that John is saying when he says, look, here's a hint. Jesus is king. Look, here's a hint. Jesus is the Messiah. Um, look, this prophet word is, is a forecast of the true revelation. And so for all of us that are watching this today, we are all learning to see Jesus um, more fully. And so some of us, we've journeyed and we've seen Jesus and we have testimony of his goodness. We have testimony of his faithfulness a hundred times over. And then others of us are waiting for that first experience with Jesus where we can truly say he is king. Like he truly is of God. 
And so John is saying to us, stay with the letter, stay after it, keep going, because you will begin to see him. And then, obviously, John 20. Been here, this is the 21st time we've read this out loud. And so let me read it again for the 21st time. John 20, 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so as a church, I need to say to us, in the midst of this pandemic, we need to understand that we can still experience life in his name. These verses, these words that John was writing to the first century church, they were facing a pandemic of their own kind. They had, they had the Roman oppression. They had um, uh, people on crosses lining the streets. There was sicknesses of their own. There was multiple fronts where people were losing property, losing jobs. And so when John is writing this, I believe you and I can find that John is speaking to us. Like the pressures of our culture, the joblessness, the looking for work, the sickness, the people in the front lines of danger, they would have been reading John's words saying, if I believe in Jesus, I can experience life. Um, John was writing his gospel this way, and it's no accident. So, all right, that's enough review. I don't uh, want to take up more time in that. But here's, here's the story for today. Let me, let me put it this way. This man was blind from birth but he wasn't deaf. So imagine him sitting there on the ground hearing Jesus walking up with the disciples. He's probably heard of chapter 7 like we just went through. He's probably aware of what Jesus has done in the temple. He's probably aware. And he even may have known and recognized Jesus's voice. And so he hears Jesus approaching. He hears Jesus and the disciples. And then he hears the disciples saying, Jesus, let's make a teaching point out of this man that's blind over here. And let's talk about him in front of him and begin to talk about, is he blind because of his sins or his parents' sins? Just imagine what it would have felt like to be this blind man as an object lesson of the disciples, because you know the disciples and the stories that we have heard about them that we've already experienced in their conversations with Jesus, and some of us know what's coming. They most likely weren't just whispering in Jesus' ear, like, hey, man, what is, is, this, the, is this the blind man's fault? You know, they were probably talking out loud, wanting to make some sort of scene. And so then imagine this the blind man begins to hear Jesus hacking up enough spit to make mud to cover both of his eyes. Have you ever stopped to think, how much spit does it take to make mud? And then how much spit does it take to make enough mud to cover two man's eyes? I mean, imagine the noise that Jesus was making. I'm guessing that Jesus didn't have an endless supply of saliva just pouring out of his mouth. He was having to produce the saliva to put on this man's face. So imagine the, the blind man sitting there hearing Jesus do this, saying, what in the world is this guy doing? And then he feels Jesus touch his face with mud that he knows Jesus just made with his saliva. I mean, there's so much going on in this story that I'm like, man, let's just feel for this blind man for a moment. It's not the way that others were healed where Jesus like, your faith has made you well. 
or go and wash, you'll be fine. And then not only does he put mud on a blind man's face, the man is blind and Jesus says, oh, go make your way to the pool of Siloam and wash. He doesn't offer even a disciple to go. I mean, he could have at least assigned somebody like Nathaniel or Thaddeus to the blind man to walk him to the pool of Siloam so they could be mentioned in the New Testament outside of their following Jesus passages. I mean, we don't hear much about them. He could have made this a moment where like, hey, Thaddeus, this is a place where you're going to get a chance to be recorded in the gospel account. But no, Jesus says to a blind man, make your way to the pool of Siloam and wash. So much is happening in this particular passage of scripture. But Jesus and his disciples are Jewish. The Pharisees that are in this passage of scripture are Jewish. And we'll find next week in verse 34 that they are making all kinds of assumptions about the reason why people are blind or people have disabilities and all of this. And a lot of it, a lot of their makeup, a lot of their theology is wrapped around the idea that you are disabled or you do not have sight because of your sin or somebody else's sins. There are a lot of religions around the world, things that, that are made around karma or um, different like reincarnation type faiths where if you live your life well, you come back as something good if you, and kind of advance. But if you live your life poorly, you can come back as something bad. And, and so... In this particular passage of scripture, we're finding that even these religious leaders in their day were looking at people with judgment and saying that, man, maybe, maybe it is their sin or somebody else's sin. They're, they begin to deduce that someone must have done something wrong for which this is punishment. Now, let me stop here for a minute. I've heard a lot of people on TV, and there are a lot of people out there right now that are believing that this pandemic is punishment. I would like to offer through this teaching a little bit different thought. Because if, if this pandemic, or in this case, this man's blindness, was a result of sin, when should we not have a pandemic? Because who listening to this broadcast on any platform that you're sitting here hearing it, whether live or later this week, or in a month, is sinless. Which of us is so right that the, these things shouldn't be happening on a daily basis? And so here, let me make a case, thinking about this, because when we think about it as a, I am going through something as a punishment for something, let me just stop. Um, you know, man, 20 years ago, my family helped start a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And when we were in Charlotte, one of the tragedies that happened to our family and one of the, the trials that we went through is we had a house fire and we lost all of our possessions just two days after Christmas. It wasn't maybe just a week or two into our church gathering again um, that somebody in the hallway was talking to somebody else in front of us and said, I wonder if Ellis and Ginger's house was on fire because they have some sort of unconfessed sin in their life. So let me just say this. I know that a lot of times the way that we try to process evil in the world is that we are in turn deserving of some kind of punishment for something that's happening. So we think that God is fair and we live in a fair world. So in order for us to justify 
God being just and all-knowing and all-powerful and that nothing gets by him, we come up with thoughts that's like, oh, this is a punishment for a sin. We're not comfortable with there being some other way that God is then in turn dealing with the world. And so we think, well, right now I'm living my life well, things are good, and so therefore I am being blessed. I think Jesus here is firmly resisting this analogy that God uses things like this in every case in order to punish people for their sins. Again, the Easter story is this week, and I wonder what Good Friday means in light of that thinking as well as Easter Sunday morning. I believe Jesus is starting to teach something here, that the world is stranger, like like crazier or more in disarray than you and I might think, and that the darkness that, that is John keeps talking about and the light of God being more powerful of that darkness is a different way for us to see the loving justice shining into this world. But in order for us to understand that, we need to dismantle our thoughts that at some points our society is sinless, so we have prosperity, and then we are then at turn sinful, so therefore we don't have prosperity. And we need to be careful of this. And even as an individual, oh, I now have an illness because of sin in my life. So let's stop and think about this world right now. It's not some sort of moral slot machine where I put a a good coin in and then I get a good result out. Or I put a bad coin in, therefore I get a bad result out. Now listen, there are things that I can do. Like I can do something good and actually have somebody have a positive experience. Like I could provide a hygiene kit with hand sanitizer to somebody right now that is living without a home so that they can try to fight against COVID and see a smile come out of their faith. So is that me putting in a good coin and seeing a good outcome? Or is it like people, which I was talking to Blake and Albert prior to this, and looking at the staggering high percentage of people that are purchasing alcohol right now at rates so much higher than this time last year, and the danger of people coping with COVID by trying to medicate themselves with alcohol at home and the dangers of that. And so the thought would be is if I put in a bad action, drunkenness, then I'm going to get into a car accident. Or if I do a good thing, then it's going to produce gratitude. Well, let's just be honest. There's been times I've done good things for people and I've been like made fun of. Like, or I've been mocked or I've actually taken time to do something kind and somebody actually like snarls back at me. And so just because I do something good doesn't mean I'm going to have a, a kindness turned back on me. And let's be honest, there are people that get drunk all the time that should get into car accidents, that should cause harm, and they live long lives and never have any DUIs or they never harm anybody, but they live a life of drunkenness. And so just in those two simple analogies, we find that the universe and the way the world functions isn't on this idea that, oh, he's blind because of his sin. And so as we look at this, I want it to stretch our thinking. Because you can't 
sketch the point back to a previous life or to someone else's sin. So being born blind doesn't mean that you must have sinned, Jesus says, nor does it mean that your parents have sinned, Jesus says. He basically says, no, 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 there's something much bigger, mysterious, more hopeful that is going on. And so listen to this. This is a quote from N.T. Wright, and I love this. He says, the chaos and the misery of this present world is the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. Listen to this. The chaos and the misery of this present world is the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. So when Jesus heals this man, I believe John is clearly intending us to see the action as one of the moments in the gospel when God's truth and the world's life, so let me just phrase that differently, theology and history collide. God's truth and the world's life come rushing together in one. So we're seeing the history of the world and the truth of God collide in John chapter 9. And and we're finding the references going back to even John chapter 1 where he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says in verse verse 5, sending our minds back yet to where it all started, that life was in him and this life was the light of the human race. And as the passage goes on, we see part of what it means that the light shines into the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it. So Jesus is shining light into a dark place and that darkness can't overcome it. John's gospel is pushing forward to the new creation. And at the, at, and let's, so let's go back to the creation story, the book of Genesis. God was faced with chaos, Genesis chapter 1. And he didn't waste time complaining about the chaos. He didn't take time. It does, there's no recorded verse 1, part C or D in the Bible where there, this beautiful creation poem says that God stopped and looked at Jesus, looked at the Holy Spirit or whatever else was around him at the time. And he's like, look at this chaos. Look at this disorder. Who caused it? Where did it come from? It just says that God got into it. He created light first, and following the light was a whole new world. I believe John wants us to think about that power in creation, because if we understand Good Friday, and we understand the power of the resurrection on Easter Sunday, we begin to see the work that Jesus was sent to do. And what Jesus was sent to do was to say that the final Sabbath, after the initial creation is over. There's now a new world with a new rest coming that Jesus is now ushering in. So much of this language of Sabbath in here and in new life and new creation. So after the chaos of Good Friday and after the quietness of the Holy Saturday, we begin to see that he is bringing a new creation itself into being, into light with that first Easter. And so I'd even encourage you this week, go back and start John chapter 20 and verse 1 and begin to see and read this, the new beginning, the new creation. That is what's starting to take place. And I'll remind you of that again next week. So the new creation always seems puzzling. Nobody in the story could quite figure out whether this man was the same or not. There's this, when I was listening to Albert read the scriptures, you begin to hear this discussion. is like, is this even the same man? Because like, you, do you recognize him? I mean, it might look, be a lookalike, and you might be thinking it's the same man, but we do this all the time. 
But here's the thing. Sometimes when people get to know Jesus, it transforms their lives so much so that we double take. Like, weren't you the one that used to always lie to me, but now you're a truth teller? Weren't you the one that had that addiction where you were always taking from others, but now you're giving to others? And we shake our heads like, that can't be you. It it can't be who you are. But yet we find in this passage of Scripture that it really is the same person, that there really is changing power when we come in contact with Jesus Christ. Can someone who used to lie and steal and cheat and swear and do all these unwholesome things really turn out to be a wise human being? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes. Even in our world today, God can get a hold of us. Even those of us right now that are gripped in fear and anxiety, if we allow ourselves to see and have our eyes set on Jesus Christ, we can find that God is doing something new in us and that he can create beauty even through this pandemic. Like the the mess and the chaos of this pandemic is not going to stop him from ushering in the new work of the new kingdom and the new creation that's coming. In the same way, after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples are faced with the astonishing question that I think is still asked here in John 9. Is this really Jesus? I mean, the, the Pharisees and the parents and all the story and all this happening in this passage of Scripture is over and over again redundantly being asked, is, is this really Jesus? And again, the answer is yes, it is really Jesus. And so what we have in this passage is a two-way um, like power over fear and, and acted out as the Pharisees and the parents of this blind man try to come to terms with what just happened. The Pharisees, it appears, are afraid of something new bursting out within Judaism. So there's obviously some sort of thing that they've proclaimed that if you believe in the Messiah out of John chapter 7 and 8, which we just went through, they've said, look, if anybody confesses him, the Messiah, a prophet, or anything special, they're going to be banned from the synagogue, which forces these parents to actually say, our child's of age, ask him, because they wanted deniability. They're like, look, whatever our son says, he's now old enough to say it, and so we're no longer responsible because they didn't want to be rejected from the synagogue. That's how much power and and people were involved in this. And so this kind of reaction is born, what I believe, out of fear of the unknown or something outside of our system of thought. And Jesus is coming to say, no, look, I'm coming to give you truth. I'm coming to, to bring light into darkness, to bring something new into being. And we've got to let go of all of this fear. John, even in a letter to the church later, says, perfect love casts out fear. So the gospel story is all about a different way in which we can live and experience God coming into this healing power of God in our life that is also described as a light coming from our life. And in fact, I believe for John, loving and healing are all parts of what the new creation is supposed to look like, all encompassing of the way that healing is broadcast and announced into this world and how love is broadcast into this world. So the new creation speaks of, of, this, of this week, and, and we, I mentioned it in chapter 20, the resurrection is the start of this week, a new day, a new moment. And God is saying, I'm declaring this to be new life in Christ. So the angry, the fearful rejection of the Pharisees and the anxiety of the parents come together in this story 
And what we begin to see is this story speaks to the many dark places in our world today and no doubt many dark places with our own individual lives where fear, resentment, shock, anxiety are crippling our understanding, restricting our faith and stifling our love. And if we're not careful going through this pandemic, those will be true of us. We'll let fear, resentment, shock, anxiety cripple us and restrict the way that we show faith. And so the only way that we can begin to keep pressing through this is what I believe is the example of the blind man. Look, I can't explain it. It's just Jesus. Look at what he's done for me. The blind man was the one in the story keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus. And when surrounded by fear and anger, the only way through it is for us to get a glimpse of Jesus and to follow him through the darkness and into the light. And this is the time period that we're in. This is very likely going to be a longer period of time than any of us had ever hoped. And the only chance that we have of getting through it with emotional strength and spiritual strength is for you and I to keep whatever view of Jesus we can, no matter how thin we can see through the darkness, but is to keep our eyes on Jesus, knowing that if we do, eventually we're going to be led into the full light of Christ. A new creation can happen, and it does happen. Healing does happen. Lives can be transformed. And the question that was being asked of this man in this passage is the same question that we can ask each other today, is how did it happen for us? How did we see Jesus? When did we see Jesus? What did he do for us? We need to keep telling each other the story. And then how does it happen? Like when you put your trust in Jesus, how does it happen? And it is just simply us looking at Jesus saying, I know you're the light of the world and I'm in darkness and I want to be in your light. Thank you for loving me. The answer given through the gospel is of course through Jesus. The answer to everything is through Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus. And the future, excuse me, and the further question that we need to ask each other is where can we find him? That's the great question for us to end on today. The people that you're socially able to spend time with is probably your roommates and your family. Will they find Jesus in you? Do they see Jesus in us? Maybe our neighbors, the elderly neighbors, the homeless around us, the people on our street that are at risk, could they see Jesus in you? My prayer for us as a church is that we don't live day to day or week to week just to have this video church experience, but that we live this week where we can be in a place where our neighbors around us is saying, where are you, Jesus? And then they come, they come within six feet of us or they come within a Zoom call of us or a FaceTime moment with us or some sort of way that we can still display that Jesus is alive and that the story of Easter is still powerful about light breaking into darkness, about something old being made new. And that is the story of John 9, which we'll continue some more next week. Let me just stop here and I'm going to invite Blake up right now to lead us in a time that we're going to call the prayers of the people. Good morning, church. Let us pause and pray. Oh God, our creator, Lord Christ, our savior, Holy Spirit, our counselor, we come to you this morning to lift our prayers, knowing that in your great mercy you hear us, and in your steadfast love you respond to our need. Hear these, our prayers, as we come before you today. Lord, we are facing a time unlike anything we have ever known.
We hold on in faith, knowing that you are intimately aware of all of the effects caused by this global pandemic. Because of your lavish love, we seek you for those in our community who have been personally affected by COVID-19. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For any who have been infected by this disease, ourselves, our friends and family, co-workers and colleagues, or any to whom we are connected, meet them in their time of trial. Bring healing and carry them through their distress. If you would pray with me, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For those who are suffering from the secondary effects of this pandemic, those whose financial picture has been drastically altered, those who feel isolated and alone due to this unfamiliar practice of social distancing, those who face countless forms of uncertainty and anxiety in this time, bring your peace that passes all understanding and comfort us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our medical professionals who are on the front lines of fighting this disease, who put themselves in harm's way for the benefit of another as a living example of you, Lord Christ, we ask for their protection, for courage and strength in their work, and for your love to flow through them each and every day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, the very fabric of our world is changing. We pray to you for each of the cities, countries, and cultures across the world that are experiencing these changes in their own ways. For their leaders and decision makers, we pray for wisdom and discernment, grace and peace, and justice and righteousness to guide them each day through the fullness of these days. Inspire creativity in all of us, to look at the world anew and follow your Spirit's lead. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us not forget that there are countless others who face their own trials in body, mind, and spirit unconnected to our present circumstances. We know that you see them. You do not and will not forget them, and you know their need. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For us, your church, united in Christ across the world, we pray that your truth would guide us and draw us close to you and one another. In a time where division and separation threatens to keep us apart, help us to live together in your love and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For these and so much more, we lay it all at your feet, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, trusting that you who has created all, suffered all, and reconciles all, walks with us each and every day, now and forevermore. In your space, let us pray together the prayer that the Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So before I give us our closing benediction, I just want to let you know that next week after our time of prayer, after the teaching, we are going to take the Lord's table together um, and do this for the first time at a distance. And so um, next week, please have um, a plate with some bread and a cup with, um, with, uh, with the juice or the wine in it. Um, so that you can be prepared at the beginning of our Easter celebration to be able to um, participate in what I believe is going to be a life-giving experience as we, across the world, take time to come to the table together. We'll also probably be doing that on Friday for Good Friday, so please um, stay attention, keep attention to the announcements and the notifications that are coming to you through our app. So let me close our service this morning with our benediction. As we go from here today, may our eyes be opened. May we see that Jesus is the one that will guide us through the trouble of our day. And may we allow our lives to be completely transformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may his kingdom come and his will be done this week as it is in heaven. May God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you very much.